Good morning. I'm David, one of the elders here. Our text this morning is Psalm 67. So if you're able, please stand for the reading of God's word, Psalm 67. To the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm, a song. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, Selah, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth, Selah. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your holy, eternal word. Help me to handle correctly the word of truth. Teach us by your Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that you lead us into all paths of truth and righteousness. For we have been bought with a price by the blood of Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. So Psalm 67 has been called a missionary psalm. It's also been called a prophetic psalm. Both are correct, but more than anything else, it is a prayer which expresses the heart of God for the nations. It tells us of God's passion to be known and worshipped and enjoyed throughout the whole earth. It speaks to our calling to the nations. Psalm 67 would have reminded Israel of their purpose, that they're a player in something that's bigger than themselves, something bigger than their own lives, with a purpose that extends beyond the borders of their own lands. They're blessed with the knowledge of God, but their blessing is not just for themselves, but for the whole world. This psalm takes Israel back to its foundation as a nation in the promises made to Abram, who was later renamed Abraham. In Genesis 12, 2 and 3, the Lord said to Abram, And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In Christ, we are Abraham's offspring through faith. As his heirs, we share in the blessings of Abraham. Galatians 3.29 says, And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. So God blessed Abraham that through him, he would be a blessing to all the families on the earth. As Abraham's heirs, God has blessed us so that we in turn can be a blessing. If Israel was to proclaim the blessings of God throughout the whole earth, how much truer it is for us. As New Testament believers, Christ himself has commissioned us to go and make disciples of all nations. Today in this passage, we will see the heart of God for missions and how he calls us to pray, to go, to send, in order to, that he might be worshipped and enjoyed 
by every people group on earth. This passage needs to grab our attention. It needs to become our passion. Christ has called us to the nations. When we studied the book of Daniel, we learned about a literary device called a chiasm. Psalm 67 follows a chiastic structure. Verses 1 and 2 are parallel to verses 6 and 7. The first two verses are a prayer for God's blessing in order to make him known and to save people from every nation. Verses 6 and 7 are a prophetic fulfillment of that prayer. Verses 3 and 5 are identical and are the chorus of the song. In the chorus, we hear God's passion to be worshipped by all people groups on earth. Then verse 4 is the central verse in the middle. It tells us why God wants to be known and worshipped, so that he can be the joy of all the nations. We'll look at Psalm 67 together in its chiastic structure. So we'll dive into verses 1 and 2, followed by 6 and 7, then verses 3 and 5, followed by verse 4. So in verse 1, we see our calling to pray. We can't give what we don't have. So the psalmist prays for more of God, more of God's blessings, more of God's grace, and more of God's favor. Verse 1 begins, To the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm, a song. Psalm 67 is one of seven psalms plus the song in Habakkuk 3 that are addressed to the choir master with stringed instruments. It's to be sung with stringed instrumentation. Verse 1 continues, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. It starts with Aaron's threefold blessings from Numbers 6, 24 to 26. As the high priest Aaron pronounced a blessing over Israel, it reads like this, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. The psalmist starts out, point A, asking for God's grace. May God be gracious to us. How appropriate that the prayer starts with asking for the grace of God. This is the foundation upon which our salvation is built. Charles Spurgeon says, The best saints and the worst sinners may unite in this petition. It is addressed to the God of mercy, but by those who feel their need of mercy, and it implies the death of all legal hopes and claims of merit. God's blessings are rooted in his grace. His grace means that we're given blessings that we don't deserve. By definition, grace is unmerited favor. So how do you experience more of God's grace in your life? You can't earn it, but you can position yourself to receive more of his grace. In Christian theology, the term means of grace are the things, the means through which God gives his grace. In his wisdom, God has provided ways by which we can regularly have our faith fortified. Historically, we refer to the, quote, ordinary means of grace as prayer, the word, and the ordinances. Prayer, the word, primarily preached but also read, and the ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper. R.C. Sproul says, 
The ordinary means of grace are not elaborate or fancy methods of giving us what we need to confirm our trust in Christ. To an outside observer, they do not seem special at all. After all, they make use of rather common things, such as human speech, bread, wine, and water. But by faith in the work of the Spirit, these common elements are used to do an uncommon work, the confirmation of our trust in Jesus and the strengthening of our wills to flee from sin and rest in Christ alone. So here's a practical application. If you want to experience more of God, let prayer, the word, and the ordinances help you experience more of his grace in your life. Point B, the psalmist asks for God's blessing. May God be gracious to us and bless us. One Bible commentator writes, Can you imagine a guilty criminal coming before a judge, pleading for mercy and receiving it, and then asking for a blessing? Yet, that's exactly how God's love toward us is that great. Notice that this blessing is for all the saints. It's not, God bless me. Now, there's nothing wrong with it, but here it says, God bless us. It's a corporate prayer for blessing. John Piper says, God is most likely to bless us when we are planning and longing and praying to bless the nations. He will bless the church that's pouring itself out for unreached peoples of the world. And this blessing is not payment for a service rendered. It's power and joy for a mission to accomplish. When we move toward the unreached peoples, we are not earning God's blessings we are leaping into a river of blessings that is already flowing to the nations. So the practical application, pray for God to bless your family and to bless remedy. Ask to so overflow with joy in him that you have his heart for the nations. Ask God to bless remedy so that we in turn can be a blessing to the nations. The third petition, point C, is God's favor. We seek God's grace, his blessing, and his favor. To have his face shining towards us is the opposite of having him turn his face away from us. We want him to delight in us as we delight in our children. We want him to smile on us. We want his favor. Not because we deserve it, but because Jesus has given us his righteousness. God, make your face to shine upon us. Just as the high priest pronounced a blessing over Israel, so Jesus, our high priest, blesses us. Ephesians 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Verse 1 concludes with the word Selah. The word Selah occurs 71 times in Psalms and three times in the song of Habakkuk. So it's a common word. But most Bible commentators think of it as a musical interlude or a reflective pause. So let's pause for a minute to think about what the psalmist has said and let it sink in. Make it your prayer right now. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. This is the heart of the Father for us who are his children. This is his blessing over you. Some of you need to hear this. Let it fill your soul. God has given us his grace, his unmerited favor. He blesses us. His face shines on us 
not because we deserve it, but because he loves us. Ephesians 2, 12 and 13 says, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Jesus, who's at the right hand of God, is interceding for you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let those truths wash over you. Verse 2 says, That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. God, give us your grace, give us your blessing, give us your favor. Why? What's the motivation? So that we can live a comfortable life? No. It's so that we can proclaim your way, O Lord, so that we can make you known, so that you can save people from all nations. Number two, God calls us to go and to send. Those are the two options for us. A week ago, Pastor Chris reminded me of a story, the story of William Carey, who's known as the father of modern missions. Carey wrote an essay that led to the founding of the Baptist Missionary Society in 1792. As they were discussing the unreached around the world, the question was asked, there is a gold mine in India, but it seems as deep as the center of the earth. Who will venture to explore it? I will go down, responded William Carey, but remember that you must hold the rope. There must be goers and there must be senders. There must be those who descend into the mine and those who hold the rope. Romans 10, 14, and 15 says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Point A, our calling is to go and send that God may be known. The reason the psalmist asks for blessings is for the sake of God's glory and for the sake of those who are perishing. We cannot expect the nations to worship and be glad in God if they do not know him. The psalmist prays in verse 2, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. God wants to be known among the nations. He's at work in history to save people from every tribe, language, and nation. Remember God's promise to Abram? I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. In the same way, the psalmist asks for God's blessing so that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. To the church, Jesus gives the Great Commission. Make disciples of all nations. Teach them my way. I don't want people to be ignorant of me. Spurgeon puts it this way. Our love must make long marches and our prayers must have a wide sweep. We must embrace the whole world in our intercessions. Ignorance of God is the great enemy of mankind. God has set a way and method of dealing out mercy to men, and it is the duty and privilege of a revived church to make that way to be everywhere known. So let me help you apply this by asking some questions. 
Are you asking God to instill in your heart and in the hearts of your children a passion for the nations to know him? Are you reading missionary stories to your children? Who are your children's heroes? Do, they pray, do you pray for the unreached people groups? Are you being a good steward of God's material blessings so that you can use those resources to bless the nations? Are you living simply so that you can give joyously and generously to the Lord's work? The psalmist is saying, God, use us. Help us to proclaim your ways. That's our calling and our delight, to be a testimony, to proclaim your salvation. But the psalmist goes on to pray, God, do what only you can do. We proclaim, but you save. The psalmist prays for your saving power among all nations. So point B, God calls us to pray, go, and send in order to save people from every nation. In Matthew 28, 19, Jesus commissions us to make disciples of all nations. The word nations there is ethnos. It's a people group, not a modern country. The Joshua Project estimates that there are 10,200 people groups in the world, of which 4,400 are unreached. The task of missions is not just to reach individuals, but to reach all the people groups in the world. That's why we at Remedy pray for unreached people groups. At the beginning of each service, we pray for local churches or unreached people groups every Sunday. In Matthew 9, 37 and 38, Jesus said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The application is this. We need to pray earnestly that God use remedy in his great work to save people from every ethnos. We need to be praying for God to raise up workers from among us. Finally, we need to send them well by praying faithfully and generously supporting them financially. At the end of the service, before we recite the Great Commission, we'll have an opportunity to uh, actually apply this. We'll be praying for missionaries that are being sent out by remedy to unreached people groups. If you've not already pledged to help with their, their support, you might want to think about that and pray about it. There are pledge cards that are on the table in the lobby. They, they look like this. They're very small. But think about that and pray about it. We need to cover our missionaries in prayer and send them well. They're willing to descend into the mine. We need to hold the rope. So, as we've seen, God calls us to pray, to go, and send, to make him known so that he can save people from every nation. The other reason God calls us to go and send is point C, so that he can provide what is needed for this supernatural mission. Verses 6 and 7, the earth has yielded its increase. God, our God shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let the ends of the earth fear him. Remember that Psalm 67 is a chiastic structure. The end of the psalm ties back to the beginning. Verses 6 and 7 parallel verses 1 and 2. The prayer of the first verses are answered in the last. The psalmist prays for God's blessing in order to be a blessing. In fact, verse 6 says that God has already blessed. The earth has yielded its increase, past tense. 
He has given us blessings to enable us to go and blessings to enable us to send. When I was a child, my father, who's an accountant, found out that accountants were needed on the mission field. He discovered that missions are not just for seminary graduates, but nearly all skill sets are needed. When he realized that he already had the skills that were needed, he responded to God's call on his life, which is how I came to grow up in Central and South America as a missionary kid. Now, some of us may think that God would never call us to cross-cultural missions because we don't have the right skill set. Yet he has already equipped you. For others, God has already provided us with the means to send. Years ago, I had a pastor who would say, God may intend to give through you what he never intended to give to you. In other words, don't assume that a pay increase or extra income was given to you by God to increase your standard of living. It may have been given to you to increase your level of giving. Here's another aspect of God's provision. I find this to be so amazing. This is so like God who gives us grace upon grace. Christ commissions us. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. But we're told the outcome of the Great Commission. We've seen the end of the movie. We've skipped ahead and read the last chapter of the book. Here's the spoiler. Revelation 7, 9, and 10 says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. God will save a great multitude that includes people from every nation, from every ethnos, from every people group. The Great Commission will be efficacious. Missions will be successful. That should be a tremendous encouragement to us as we walk in obedience and joy to his command. Now some may ask, if the Great Commission will be successful... Why should I go, or why should I send, or why should I pray? It's because God wills to do his work through us, his people. He loves to answer our prayers. He gets the glory, and we get the blessing. We saw this in our study of the book of Daniel. Daniel 9, 2 and 3 says, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, asking him by prayer and pleas for mercy, with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. So God promised that the captivity for the exiles of Judah would last 70 years. Yet when Daniel saw that it was time, he prayed that God would fulfill his word. The Apostle John knows that Christ will return. Yet he prays at the end of Revelation for that to happen. Revelation 22.20, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. To this John adds, Amen, come Lord Jesus. Matthew 24.14 says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So before the return of Christ, the gospel will be proclaimed to every people group. 
The question is, will we participate in the Great Commission by praying and going and sending? Or will we miss out through disobedience? John Piper says, God's purpose to be known and praised and enjoyed among all the nations cannot fail. It is an absolutely certain promise. From this discovery, we saw that if we as a church are disobedient, it's not ultimately the cause of God and the cause of world missions that we'll lose. We will lose. God's counsel will stand. And he will accomplish all his purpose. His triumph is never in question. Only our participation in it. Our incalculable loss. We can be drunk with private concerns and indifferent to the great enterprise of world evangelism, but God will simply pass over us and do his great work while we shrivel up in our land of comfort. God calls us to pray. God calls us to go and send. Number three, God calls us to worship. Verse three is the chorus repeated in verse five. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Piper says, missions exist because worship doesn't. If everyone worshiped God, there would be no need for missions. Worship is the goal of missions. The worship we're talking about is true worship. John 4.24 says, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. This isn't the worship of the God of your own choosing or of your own imagination. There isn't your truth and my truth. There is truth, God's truth. It is worship of God, of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God that's revealed to us in Scripture. Point A, God calls us to worship him, the God of the Bible. Let the peoples praise you, O God. The word for God here is Elohim, the same word that's used in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. It's the word used for God more than 2,500 times in the Old Testament. To worship God, we must know him, and we learn about him through his word. If you want to worship God in a greater way, don't turn up the volume of the music. Instead, enrich your understanding of him from his eternal word. John MacArthur says, the most important contributor to effective worship is the scripture. Because if we're supposed to worship according to the will of God, we have to go to scripture to find out what the will of God is. Which then leads me to say, expository preaching is the key to effective worship, to God being honored, to God's will being done. I've been asked through the years, MacArthur says, how can your congregation worship when you preach so long? And in my mind, I'm saying, how can your congregation worship when you preach so short? Because what informs worship is truth, the knowledge of the holy. The most important thing that happens in the church with regard to worship is that the mind is being transformed, being renewed by the word of God. Acceptable worship is a product of understanding the word of God, which means you know God and his will and can offer him acceptable worship. Missions is helping people from every ethnos fulfill their purpose in life by becoming worshipers of the true God as revealed in scripture. Point B, God calls all peoples to worship him. Verses three and five continue. Let all the peoples praise you. 
God wants everyone to worship him. And as we've seen, there will be worshipers from every people group. That's the heart of God. Now, do we claim to have God's heart for the nations? But in practice, find some people are just too different or too remote and difficult to get to. Do we act as if our calling is just to people who speak our language or share our culture? William Carey, you know the one that said, I will go down, but remember you must hold the rope, was a poor cobbler. He mended shoes for a living. But the Great Commission got a hold of him. It was something he could not shake. He wrote, Multitudes sit at ease and give themselves no concern about the far greater part of their fellow sinners, who to this day are lost in ignorance and idolatry. Within a year of making that statement, Carey and John Thomas, a former surgeon, and Carey's family that by now included his wife, three boys, and a child on the way, were on a ship headed to India. Carey's greatest legacy was his worldwide missionary movement of the 19th century. Missionaries like Hudson Taylor and David Livingston, among thousands of others, were inspired by Carey's example. They went to the mission field quoting his words, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. God has called us to the nations. He calls us to pray and go and send. So what happens when we pray and go and send? People become worshipers. What happens when God is worshipped? Man fulfills his chief purpose of glorifying God and enjoying him forever. To his glory and our benefit, God becomes our joy. Number four, God has called us to enjoy him. Jonathan Edwards said, God is glorified not only by his glories being seen, but by its being rejoiced in. When those that see it delight in it, God is more glorified than if they only see it. David wrote in Psalm 1611, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. God has called us to enjoy him, to esteem him, to treasure him, to be glad in him. Verse 4 starts out, Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Point A, God calls us to enjoy him, <clears throat> that he may be the joy of all the nations. <clears throat> when we are overflowing with joy in God, we want others to know that joy. Christ has ransomed people from every nation, every ethnos, to worship and enjoy him. Revelation 5, 9 and they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. So most of you know that I, I lived in Quito, Ecuador for all four years of high school. Quito is in a valley, and one of the mountains surrounding Quito is Pichincha, Pichincha is 15,700 feet above sea level, higher than Pikes Peak. To see the top of Pichincha from our window, I had to lie on the floor and look up. So during high school, I loved to climb Pichincha. The views from the top were breathtaking. But imagine my joy when 15 years ago, in 2006, 
I was able to share that view with Susan and Caleb. So let's go to the, the picture slide. So here we are at the top of Pichincha. If you've ever shared the glories, uh, the joy of a glorious sunset or beautiful music or a fun experience with others, you know what I'm talking about when I say joy is multiplied when it is shared. God wants us to enjoy him so much that we can't wait to share him with the nations so that he becomes their joy too. Verse 4 continues, Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Final point, point B, God calls us to enjoy him, for he judges and guides the nations. God is our creator and will judge mankind. He will judge with equity. But every one of us has broken God's law. Every one of us is in sinful rebellion against God. We are incurring his wrath and the penalty of death. The response, so the good news though of all of that is that the penalty that we owe for our transgressions has been paid by a substitute. Jesus, who alone is sinless, has paid for our sin on the cross. He died and rose again. So what God wants is for us to repent of our sins and believe in Christ. If we trust in him alone for salvation, we will stand before God on the judgment day clothed in the righteousness of Christ. For this, we are glad and sing for joy. Verse 4 continues, And guide the nations upon earth. God's sovereignty over the nations is a source of joy to the psalmist. God is working his sure purposes toward his final day when his son returns to reign as king of kings and lord of lords. One day the true king will reign in an everlasting kingdom, bringing justice, peace, and righteousness. Isaiah 9-7 prophesies of that day. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it, with justice and righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Finally, we see the word selah, a reflective pause or a musical interlude. As we pause to reflect on Psalm 67, we see God's heart for missions. We see, also see our calling. He calls us to pray and to go and send in order that he might be worshipped and enjoyed by every people group on earth. This passage needs to grab our attention. It needs to become our passion. Christ has called us to the nations. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that we be like William Carey, that the gospel, that the great commission would be in us. Father, that it would grab us, that... It, we would not be able to shake it, but that it would become our passion. Father, I pray that you move us for what moves you. That you would give us your heart for the nations. And Father, that we would walk in obedience to the Great Commission. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.